0: You're listening to the Brown Sign Project Podcast. Every journey a visitor takes through your attraction should immerse them in your values and heritage and leave them wanting more. Stephen Spencer and Associates are a team of highly experienced tourism and retail aficionados who will help you develop a sixth sense in order to maximise every opportunity. We're here to help you build and engage your team to own and enhance your visitor experience. Above all, we're here to help you increase your profitability in these challenging times because people become engaged team members and loyal customers when they love your attraction as much as you do.
1: Welcome to The Brown Sign Project, the podcast for tourism and attractions industry professionals. My name is Carlton, one of the hosts of the show. In this episode, we talk to Ash Smith, co-founder and financial director of Harbour Park. Ash tells us about the smart family history and the part they've played in the industry. Also sharing some great advice in getting in and progressing within the tourism and attractions industry. And as another guest who loves numbers and statistics, Ash tells us how he developed his analytical skills in other areas of his life, Before returning back to his family business, before we talk to Ash, we would like to take the opportunity to thank our seasoned sponsors, Staff Savvy and Stephen Spencer and Associates. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be doing this show. So thank you very much. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello, another day, another podcast. Carly, hello, how are you?
2: I am good, I'm good. Looking forward to this one.
1: Me too, I'm. Uh, me too. I'm very, very excited. Um, I've got one of my buddies on um, today. Um, but yes, it's, it's going to be great. It's another careers um, podcast. So uh, this gentleman is going to be talking about his career, what he's done. And it's quite unique, actually. I don't think we've had anyone like him on our podcast. So, Ash, hello. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for inviting me to take part. Ah, oh, you are more than welcome, more than welcome. So before we start, um, I just want you to, to explain to everybody what you do and how you do it.
3: So basically, uh, at the moment, I am co-owner and finance director at Harbour Park Beachside Amusement Park on the south of England. So really, because we're a family business and we're not the largest, so we have a small team so i'm quite involved in the day-to-day of the financials um currently training up a a new bookkeeper to take over a lot of the processing but also i'm I'm a bit of a analytical type in that so i'm constantly delving down all the numbers in each department seeing we're maintaining the margins which is very relevant in this day uh, and age with high inflation as it is um, price reviews regularly but also, I'm here on weekends, so I kind of snap into operations mode on the weekends. Um, go down general manager kind of role, making sure everyone's got enough change in tills or lifts and things like that. From making sure customer queries are dealt with, that take the pressure off our management to get on with getting the running of their department. Um, so kind of all all hands on deck kind of thing in the height of the season, but. Uh, no day is the same so uh and, and that's it and then the rest of the week is kind of stuck ball and chain to my desk and my phone and <laughs> <I'm> presenting <laughs> to the the other directors uh, once a week uh, what things are looking like so that's kind of in a nutshell what I do uh, week by week
2: that's amazing I am such a sort of theme park nerd and I just look at th- 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 just certain tiny things like you say you know about having enough money in the tills and making sure you know everyone's just I, I've worked in a few theme parks and it does really sort of make me a little bit nostalgic. <laughs> like, oh, you know, it's people forget that those things go on, you know, that it's not just, you know, the the people that you see serving you, it's the, all the people in the background sort of making sure it's, that things it, are just
3: working. The, that is so true. That's so true, Carly. I always say that um, if a family's day out seems seamless, there are n- dozens and dozens of people that have made that happen that you'll never meet.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and and would and would you necessarily want them? Like I love the magic of that that thing that you know, like you say that it's just sort of like little elves, <laughs> you know, in the background making stuff work. I love it. The magic. I of call it. us
3: the Anonymous Memory Makers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all like writing that down now.
2: Like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so borrowing that one. <laughs> So we normally start with an icebreaker and we're we're asking everyone the same icebreaker this series because we discovered that when we were doing this last year is that this is a question that comes up and we think it's quite telling, but we think maybe for you, it, it might be slightly different. So we'll go with it. But what job did you want to do when you were a child? Because, you know, I think most children would say they want to go up and own a theme park.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yes. I, 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 one that stands out to me very clearly is a policeman and I remember uh, dressing up in a light blue shirt with a police badge sewn on on the arm and stand outside my house pretending to be like on duty outside my house <laughs> yeah. so yes that, that's the most vivid memory I have of a career hope for the future. <laughs>
2: One of the only children that thought, oh, I could go up and join the circus, but actually
3: uh, Yes, to. that that is, that is true. Um, yeah. So uh maybe it had something to do with uh to be have integrity when I was older or helpful for other people, which does tie nicely into the uh theme park big business.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um and before we started recording, just to give people an idea, you gave us a bit of a history of of Harbor Park and um kind of the, the the family history there, would you just recount it for us? Because I think it's really fascinating to give people an idea of, of the background that you have.
3: Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, so our family uh, purchased Harbour Park back in 1977. So we, we've been here well over 40 years. Um, but if I go back further, it's kind of started around 1910 with just a single hand-cranked roundabout um, on a, on a funfair. And the family grew it to a certain size, um, to the point where my great grandfather added a circus after visiting America and seeing what the next best thing was. But the circus outgrew the fun so his part of the family took the circus out, and it was Billy Smart Circus in the 50s and 60s. Um, many of the the older generation knew it as a household name, um, and it was uh, did big spectacular shows. Was on. BBC uh, after Queen's Speech, or, like specials. And, um, and then when that kind of uh, ran its course, it ended up um, Winter Safari Park and to house the animals and, and focus on conservation and things like that. So uh, that ultimately was sold by my grandfather and his brother. Um, it's now Legoland. And my grandfather invested down in Sussex on the South Coast, uh, Smarts Amusement Park, it was first called and then about 95 to 2000 it was redeveloped rebranded as harbor park aiming at primary school children going on rides for the first time with their guardians and parents or solo for their first time so that that's that's the the history recap
2: that's amazing i mean i would say i um you said about, you know, for an older generation, it would have been a household name. I definitely have memories of, you know, my my grandma telling me about Billy Smart Circus and it was definitely a name that kind of got bandied around. So I hope that was a... a- a thing for other people as well and I did just have a sort of slightly wayward circus joining grandma <laughs> which I probably well, did to be
3: fair it, it, <laughs> was, it was great growing up meeting like school friends grandparents and everything. And the moment they said it you know my friend would say it that they'd light up and be like oh wow I remember um, you know I didn't get chosen to to in the parade you know back back in the golden age of circus you know um, when that was the entertainment of the day Um, yeah so it it was nice hearing those stories and those memories and still is now you know people do still stop now and we have a we we have a bronze statue of Billy Smart himself at our park so yeah
2: oh wow I mean yeah what a great legacy to to leave of just being in people's memories like that it's amazing um and so obviously you went from wanting to be a policeman (laughs) to um (laughs) and, and but but we're kind of born into to the the family, you know, in that kind of history, like say, the legacy, Mm -hmm. what, what did you do next? Like, how did you get from, from this little boy wanting to be a policeman to where you are now? What, what was your kind of education? Like, where did you go?
3: Well, obviously family business, you work when you're a kid. You know, so you know, 11 years old. I was selling programs out the front of our all, sur- all, sorry, all human circus in the 90s when it was touring, and my school turned up, and there were I was dressed as a clown, selling programs. <laughs> Didn't live that one down, and uh, and then in the summer holidays, I remember being about 13, taking bookings over the phones, booking people into the show, um, and then washing up in the, one of our restaurants uh, for the summer. Uh, gradually working on to rides and attractions, and then going on to study university, I studied actually modern history up uh, uh, in Norwich, uh, because it was a bit of a passion of mine is, is history, but modern history, and went on to do actually a master's in international security and um, intelligence. So a uh, bit different. So that's where my analytical mind comes from is and I did that at King's College in London. Um, wow that
2: is a a big departure
3: (laughs) Analytical, analytical. yes because that would be my advice to those listening about careers is that you know just because you're not doing a degree that's theme park or hospitality or anything the transferable skills are there you know it's not in million years that I think I'll be using things I did during my MA um and that kind of mindset and transferring it to analyzing numbers instead of date words and data and um and presenting from it making concise reports so you know it it really did put me in good stead for the future
2: yeah i think being able to tell a story from statistics and data is is definitely a, a, a skill for many many industries i do think that's a a big key driver
3: it is and weighing up for what's what's noise what's relevant what's important the pros and cons of everything and then coming down on side and actually having a decision and having an opinion, not sitting on the fence, and, and but a considered one that you've, you think you've mined everything you can before you make that suggestion. Um, so that, that, that came in handy. I did work other places. I did a bit some food and beverage. Uh, I was at Westminster for a bit um, with an MP. And, and gradually, I, I wanted to gain enough experience away from the family business. So I, when I came back, I had a clear routing and how other things and how other processes worked and I had something to offer. And my, my brother did the same. He went in the army and joined the army. And then we, we came back roughly the same time, about six months with, within each other, because um, there, there was no real roles that piqued our interest before. We, we weren't gonna have one created for us. We had to wait and, and wait for opportunities and apply. And, 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 uh, and mine was in the financials and accounts department, my opportunity. So, um, so I had to, a lot to learn did night courses at the same time as, as learning as well as doing operations as well so it was a it was a tough 12 months when I first came back but um again had a, had more to offer than just if I'd only been in the family business
2: wow yeah that's a, a breadth of experience if ever there was some.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness that's amazing um kind of, kind of I just want you to kind of think about everything that you've done okay and the question I want to ask you is like what is your why? Like,
3: What motivates you to do what you want to do or what you do? There's different elements to that. Obviously, when you have a family, that's your chief motivation to, uh, to provide for them. Um, that's number one over, over everything. Um, everyone says it, but it, it, does, it, it does make you happy knowing that you're a part of lifelong memories that repeat themselves from generation to generation that you've provided that platform that it wasn't just a beach trip it was like the enhanced beach trip you know you go to the beach you go on the rides you play some games you have your ice cream you, you find some cool candy floss a, and then that child grows up and goes I want my child to have the same experience I had and they come back and that, that can go all the way up to grandparent age and that is so satisfying to see as a family business and we pride ourselves on customer service. It's one of our USPs. You know, it's when you own it, when you're family owned, you're there. Customer has a concern. Member of the family's there dealing with it can make a decision very quickly, which we, we think is different maybe from some other larger groups that maybe you don't get access to that kind of decision maker as quick.
2: Yeah. I think being able to access a decision we were um, in one of our other episodes talking about kind of decisive decision making and timely decision making and working under pressure and I think it is the the closer you can kind of squash that hierarchy down Mm. to say you know we all we're all responsible for making that person's day and making a decision and doing what needs to be done I think yeah that the better service you can offer definitely there's nothing worse than being pushed along. (laughs)
3: Yeah, we haven't always got it right. We haven't got it. Sometimes it relied too much on us. And we had to really look at our policies and put in a far more strong policy systems for our managers to follow. So they got to make those key decisions. So we, the amount of times family members or duty directors got called was more limited. It actually empowered our managers more. We found we were probably micromanaging too much. Um, So now it's like policy is quite clear now. And if we do have to come, we can just back up what the manager has said. If it is a... No, sorry, that is the policy. But here we go. Rather than trying to do everything off the cuff, which um, I think has actually made everyone a lot happier, staff and the customer.
2: Yeah, that consistent message of I've been told, and and then not sort of you going in over their head. I think gives people confidence, definitely. Exactly. Um. And so you can't kind of, I think you kind of touched on it there. But in terms of, it, it probably is quite a challenge sometimes to 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 be the owner and be you know guest facing Is that what would be your biggest challenge or are there is there a challenge we don't know about yet that you're um, <laughs> taking on that is a
3: challenge that's a daily challenge because the moment you drive into the car park you're on show um as as family member as the operator you are the standard you you can't slack you're late everyone notices so you're actually early <laughs> it makes it if you are if you're late it makes it right for everyone else and you know if your shirt's hanging out that's all right for everyone else it, it, it's so you're constantly on performance you know um so there's that but kind of used to that and and if someone points out something that you're not quite doing right and i'm awful that i'm like yeah you're right or if i forget a policy and the manager's like actually that's policy it's like you know great thanks you know, you, you know more than I do. Congrats. You know, well done. <laughs> so um, yeah, that is a challenge, but it's not it's not an exhausting challenge. Our, our challenges are more to do with f- things like um, government relations and you know some of the real business nitty gritty things behind the scenes to to make sure that um, we can remain uh, viable and, and fight off any external challenges that we may have
2: and that's that's really interesting because that's probably not a part of the business that a lot of people see if they're not owner operator is that there's usually quite a distinction between the people in the park and the people who are dealing with policy or lobbying or it must be a very interesting place to inhabit but
3: <laughs> well, this is this is the diversity of the careers in the industry is is you know there's people who are head of government relations at the corporate level that that is their job you know, some of them to talk with local government, some talk to central government, and it just shows there is. It's not. Oh, uh, I'm studying theme parks because I want to be a manager at Disney one day. It, it's. It's not. There's independent inspections technicians. There's. There's so many avenues to go for market marketing government relations. I. I could go through many many many, but it is that wide.
2: Yeah, I always come back to I. Um, I worked at a, a theme park a number of years ago and, and did a recruitment event and someone sort of said well you know i'm far too qualified to work in that industry and being really gobsmacked and thinking one you're extremely rude because you're saying that to me who works there <laughs> but also <laughs> just like a really narrow-minded view of what it means to be in an industry like why why do we have that perception of ourselves it's and mm. and i think it is internalized sometimes you know we we think of those jobs as being not careers and that's not correct you know there are so many roles in the in the industry I think it's really important
3: yeah and it all it all is relevant down to the frontline operation a lot of the time you, you need to have have some grasp and experience of that no matter what department you're in because that's essentially your clients your guests where it all gets generated and, and that's and if some people should have at least had a few summers, at least of teenagers doing that kind of thing. (laughs) So they got the respect for it. It completely like changes you, like doing like a summer in
1: a a theme park or even a museum or an attraction. kind of the experience you get you can't get anywhere else you know just the people you meet the diversity of the types of visitors that you interact with and the offerings that that place has you know it literally changes people's lives and and i'm I'm just so thankful that i've worked in that industry and i don't know about you guys i mean i think we both are um it's just been amazing amazing experience that you just cannot get anywhere
3: else totally agree with that i think you know I I would argue actually makes you a more rounded person you know and it's like when you're out when you're at a restaurant you have more patience and things don't quite go you know as you expect as a guest you know you don't get annoyed if you end up with the wrong drink order you just point it out and oh thanks no worries you know (laughs) whereas you you see other people go irate because they probably don't understand the, the process or the pressure so I think it just rounds you off as a More patient and placid person in general.
2: What you said earlier about the anonymous kind of memory makers is that you're very aware that just because the person serving your drink maybe got it wrong, is that they're actually really dependent on all the other people, and it's never one person's fault. And it's never, I think, yeah, that that behind the scenes kind of glimpse behind the curtain sometimes gives you a lot more, so yeah, like say patience and and empathy for actually how big a deal just serving you a drink is sometimes.
1: I think think sometimes as well, it makes you more savvy as a person, you know, but you kind of see what other attractions do. And you're like, oh, I know exactly where to stand if I want to get this line or go to the front.
3: I think I totally agree with that. If I go to a park and it's with the family, I map out the whole day and it's like, right, we're going to get this one first because that's the popular ride. So we head straight there in the morning before everyone else gets there or we will go to this area first. We'll meet the characters here because, you know, that's the best time. you're, You're right. But it also makes you fussy sometimes because uh, when you go to industry events and you can just walk on a ride within, Carlton knows what I'm talking about. Know, <laughs> you, you, you just walk onto a ride that, you know, on the normal day, would have probably an hour, two hour queue. And if you go just as a normal civilian, you're like, oh, 15-minute queue, no thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah,
2: I do think it sort of has this weird thing of making you infinitely patient about some things, like, you know, you'll say about messing up drinks orders or whatever, it's like, you're patient with the people, but it makes you very impatient about operations.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, that's true. Do you spend hours creating your rotors and then spend days constantly adjusting them? We have the solution. At Staff Savvy, we specialise in shift schedules and timesheet solutions for visitor attractions. Easily manage multiple complex teams of permanent, casual, freelance and volunteer staff across different locations and disciplines. With fast communication features, automatic compliance tools, training management and simple timesheet tools, Staff Savvy has been used and trusted by organisations such as V&A Dundee, the South Bank Centre and the Royal Albert Hall, with great cost-saving benefits. Visit us at staffsavvy.com forward slash project to learn more and schedule a demo of our magic rotor button.
0: You're listening to the
1: Brown Sign Project podcast. So i are going, going to kind of touch up on, on kind of your career as well. So what's been
3: your favourite like aspect of your job? What do you love about it? I'm going to sound really boring here. Uh, (laughs) go on go on i love the analysis i really do i love the the numbers and how they they relate to the operation um and and talking to the managers about tweaks here and there that actually help the bottom line and the detail that goes in into it the Creating a nice competitive atmosphere with stock selection, like in the gift hut or or the, the, the arcade and, and celebrating it when some member of Star suggests like a, a real good winner for the season. You know, it's I like that kind of thing. And I like, you know, talking about um, you know, pricing and, and getting that right and, and trying to get the good deal and having a look, what's good perceived value and it's kind of live and breathe it every day so it's, it's a really unusual one and it's a bit of a geeky one. <laughs> oh no it.
2: a man after my own heart I <laughs> like that is that to me is really fascinating as well and I and I'm a real kind of systems person I love the idea that like what happens if we tweak this price up by 10 pence or what yeah. happens if we change out this product to something else and I had kind of a real eye-opener when I worked in theme parks at just the the profit differences on different food types for example and this is getting super nerdy now <laughs> yeah but you know the, oh, keep the, it real the keep it real <laughs> de- yeah, the, the profit of something like popcorn
0: yeah. versus
2: a hot dog and you yeah. think well actually if we can convert so many of these people to something else actually that's a massive bonus for our business and how do you do that and i think many are, many a childhood not wasted, but playing theme park on there uh, on PCs for a lot of the people who listen to this podcast.
3: I oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> a- adding more salt to the chips of so people oh. buy drinks. Yeah, all about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Amazing. Yeah, that is Amazing. that is a life uh, lived through theme park on the PC. Absolutely, <laughs> what a great what a great game.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Um, okay, so let's, let's kind of like weighing it in a little bit um and i would like you to kind of talk about like three top tips of working in the industry um that our listeners can can use to kind of get themselves into the tourist
3: attractions or attractions industry it depends there's two aspects there's one is entering and one is whilst you're there um entering i would say it's just just start if, you, if you're just out of school or if you're out of college and and, and looking to go just just find your local attraction doesn't matter if it's a local bowling alley or if it's get going work work hard you know it's be open go to an interview serious you know um sensibly dressed don't have to overdo it nowadays with tie jacket and everything but smart casual is the way to go have a sense of humor it, it, be engaging you yeah, know relax i'd say that to my younger self <laughs> Is relaxed. Don't be so intense. <laughs> you know, it's it, people will, will open up to you more when you're more relaxed. Is it, so that would be getting in. In terms of when you're in and you're looking for progression and things like that, I, I'd probably mention patience as one. Being willing to move sideways because uh, quite often you have to move sideways before you move up because uh, you get different experience in different departments and 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 if if you become Persistent with that and excelling your role, you, you do get noticed. You do. It might take a little bit of time, but you do. And if you're persistent and, and you fix skin and carry on, you, you quite often you, you, sometimes you can be last man standing depending on what, what place you are. But, and also manage up. Sometimes you know, your leaders might not be the perfect leader that you would think you would be. So pick the gaps, help, be helpful. And they like to call it managing up. So without treading all over your manager, but you spot the gaps and you take on the responsibility. So you become helpful.
2: Yeah. I think you you definitely touched on it there in terms of, you know, that what what you would have done differently. But if you had one piece of advice for your younger self, what what are you telling them? What's going to make a difference to to Ash's life today?
3: Yeah. It's going to be relaxed You know, not everything happens in an instance, you know, and and actually uh I think we all think we're, we're great leaders when we're younger. Oh, I can do that. I can be a leader. And actually, we, have, we don't really know what it means. We, we just think it's, yeah, different colours, top of uniform. And, and you know, you get to tell a few people what to do. It's not, it so much more than that. It's uh, the bug stops with you and everything. There's no There's no one else to ask for a decision. It's you. And I, I think that's it. And it does take time to build that. And leadership's never finished. You know, no one's the finished article. As long as you have that self analytical, without being too harsh on yourself, but that honesty with yourself of where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are, and when you're in a position of leadership to pick talent that that kind of help with your weaknesses and not be threatened by it, that that's the key. Absolutely, bang yeah. on.
2: Surrounding yourself with good people, I think is is, and like I say, it's difficult when you're younger because you do sort of have maybe the mentality that. I'm doing this all myself you know I the, to be a leader means to be everything and not realizing that actually that your your network and your people around you are the ones that really kind of you know you learn from and you mm-hmm. can rely on and they kind of carry you through the the harder bits of your job sometimes.
3: Exactly you yeah, know you can't do it all yourself you, you become intense you, you, fr- you get fried and the uh... Yeah. And, and actually it's about delegation and verifying you know don't delegate something and leave it delegate come back check it's how you wanted it and you know if it isn't then you you help someone develop it's not a telling off it's oh this is how we grow and then someone eventually owns that and then they grow and in a, in a leadership role you should always be looking for your successor I think
2: yeah that is great advice and I think yeah definitely something in terms of I think a lot of especially smaller attractions struggle with that idea that you're growing a you know a succession plan knowing who in the business is going to follow you and even if you've trained them and they move on and you know move out of the businesses, that's not to say they won't come back it's not right. to say that and actually if you treat people well generally speaking i find that they do come back anyway
3: but there is a pride in that you know it's um that was one of the things of my why is actually seeing young people grow and if they go on to go and do great things elsewhere, I'm glad I've played, or, or the company, and many people have played, but myself has played a part in that. I think something that's kind of a, a recurring theme that me and Kylie
1: are hearing is empathy. It's actually yeah. understanding um, other people and being in their shoes and that's the same with my leadership as well you know with your experience you started when you were really really young and worked your way up and you understand how to improvise. um so people really just need to understand it's not about going so quickly to the top of the the job mark the the hierarchical of the actual company it's actually also the, the sideways and i think that was a key thing that you kind of brought to me it's just you can do side movements. Don't worry about it. You know, you're going to learn so much and then you can slowly build your way up. So,
3: yeah, for me, about that's what your twenties are for. You know, it's yeah. for doing that. It's, it's, what was the, I think back to what was the rush? Why was, why was I so eager? And it's like, I, I, I wasn't ready. And it, the more people tell you you're not ready, the more you get annoyed with it because you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> but but now when you get into your kind of mid thirties and that you think, yeah, my my 21 year old self <laughs> was not ready at all. And um, and that's why it's never, don't waste your twenties, get all that, say yes to everything, just do it, work it out later, um, pr- progress, stick some things out, don't constantly change in that. Sometimes you need to make a change, but sometimes you stick it out because actually, two, three years experience somewhere than just one season is far much for, far better on your resume than just every season different place. Great advice. Great advice.
0: Yeah,
2: um, I have just got one last question, um, and then and then we're we're going to wrap up. But it's been fantastic to talk to you. So my last question is, um why should people come and work in the tourism sector like what would be your call out to everybody who's thinking about it to say come and join us
3: well will it will blow your mind i think is is is, and you learn something new every day about yourself about other people just about human nature and it's quite funny (laughs) sometimes (laughs) even the, the stressful stuff is funny when you talk about it later um and it's, it's, it's all based on stories and people, you know, it's not sat in an office making phone calls, sending emails over and over again. It is it, it, it's diversity of, of your day. I think it is. And, and then you get to specialise in something, you know, it's, and then, but you don't know what that is when you're younger. And, it, and you just find you, you find it eventually like, oh, no, I love this aspect and it could, it could be anything we've talked about how diverse it is and then you back yourself you know you don't have to know what degree to do in our industry I think before you enter it which is really good and you don't need you don't have to have a degree which I think is really good the equal opportunities for everybody and you know you can do that specialist study later and I, I think it, I think it's great and it it means our our industry is better for it I think and um you know, so, of course, the specialized areas, you'll have to get some form of degree or something later. If you know early, great. But if you don't, don't worry. And the, the why is actually the more you grow in the industry, you meet such great people. And it's smaller than you think. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, global. You know, you go you go to some of these IAPA like shows and you, you see the same people and you forge those relationships and you have such good times with them and uh, share so many good stories which improve the industry, improve your own career. And um, and that's why. And uh, you'll be blown away.
2: Yeah, I think that you just made me think, actually, of you say about it being a small industry, because I think we forget sometimes we are so global. And you just made me think I was once at an IAPA party in Shanghai. And just like, you know, like a little get together or whatever. And I'm in a country where you know very few people really speak English it, it's I'd been out there two weeks it was you know an in, incredible trip but it, it's quite sort of lonely in that sense mm-hmm. oh, I go to this Iapa drinks and I knew like four people in the room <laughs> yeah. and just going like how have I been in this country for two weeks and there's four people I know in this room and I haven't seen anybody and what yeah I just think it you know the, the people who stay and I think you get to know the, the the characters that sort of inhabit our world. I think it's, it's a very global industry, but a very kind of personable one. It's very very if you you meet people and you you meet you forge friendships and it's a great industry.
3: Yeah, and ge- really genuine friendships too, very genuine ones.
2: Yeah, yeah. You say about like having a sense of humor. I think I can think of times where you know it's the kind of if you if you didn't laugh you'd cry type situation sometimes yeah, like, well, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: long hours in a summer season you know oh, that's what
3: I used to I used to someone said what, what what word comes to your mind when you go to app and this is when I was far more front line and, and like, every day and someone was therapy because suddenly suddenly you talk <laughs> to other people and hear their stories and it was like I'm not alone i'm not (laughs) alone yes absolutely yeah Uh, therapy oh my gosh
1: yeah carlton
2: Carlton and i are part of a a visitor experience forum uh group and i always describe it to people like that so yeah it's
1: therapy it's like self
2: it's like kind of like you know a self-help group but we all just happen to work in visitor attractions (laughs) that
1: was great oh brilliant um thank you so much for for coming on and sharing your inspirational stories with us really really appreciate it um but if there's anyone that wants to get in contact with you um where's the best place to find
3: you well i pretty much live at our attraction at harbour park in in (laughs) west sussex by the beach. Hope people come down. Anyone with 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 families, with kids, you know, even grandparents come down. It's it's a great day out. It really is, and we've got great picnic greens on 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 the on the beach there. So bring your cricket bat or rounders bat, barbecue a lot. It's uh, it, it really is good. So I'm I'm here. I'm usually I have events as well. So please, if anyone okay. sees sees me uh in London this year September, please okay. grab me, say hello, and I'll, I'll be in, in Orlando in November as well okay. so, um, and it is come to come to those events as well because uh the more you come and, and go to them the more you solidify those connections
1: so um just for just to make our listeners understand if you don't know what iapa is can you just briefly just tell us what that is
3: yeah iapa is kind of the the global association for the attractions industry um members worldwide in all the regions um members all the way, museums, uh, science centres, aquariums, theme parks, Disney, to family-owned businesses like us, FECs, family entertainment centres. And there's three premier expos, one in Asia, um, Pacific, one in Europe in September, Asia's usually in June, and uh, international one in Orlando in November. And they do conference education sessions. The one in Orlando, at its peak was nine miles long of show floor. So lots of product too. And there's networking events that go on and uh, and they do young professionals, do great young professionals event, um, education okay. sessions and socials. So uh, look into it and get involved. Amazing. Um, are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. Unfortunately, I don't use it half as much as I, I would like. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but yeah, if people want to connect to me on LinkedIn, by all means do. And I do check my messages uh, on occasion
2: (laughs) (laughs) but but we know where to physically find you in the park so that's vitally important yes
3: that's it
2: amazing well thank you ash it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh i think you've inspired a lot of people mainly with talk of statistics which is absolutely close (laughs) to
3: my heart (laughs) thanks carly thanks thanks colton no problem take care
1: thank you for listening to the brown sign project In our next episode, we have a fascinating conversation with Anthony Lynch, the Head of Visitor Services and Security at Royal Abbott Hall, London. The Brown Sign project was edited by Paul Tyler and supported by our seasoned sponsors, Staff Savvy and Stephen Spencer and Associates. Thanks very much for listening.